0: Well, good morning, and uh, good to see everyone out. And uh, uh, I'm so encouraged by everyone who's reading along together through Acts, Luke, and Acts. And we're going to be uh, um, in a, in a few weeks moving toward Easter through Luke's uh, expression of the passion of Christ. And so it's uh, it's really cool to see. All you people who have uh, signed up and are reading together and uh, sharing some thoughts uh, as well online. So, and if you haven't done that, I want to encourage you, you can still get in on it and be a part of us uh, with that moving toward uh, Easter. So that's, uh, that's great to see. Um, central to our faith as followers of Jesus Christ, as Christ ones, we um, God gave us a book. He gave us a book to tell us what he wanted to know. That book, uh, interestingly enough, the word for the Bible is the book. Biblios. The book. It's the book. It's the book. It's the Holy Scriptures. And God gave this to us because we so desperately needed uh, this revelation of himself and his purpose for us. Without him expressing this to us, we wouldn't know fully who he is or what he does or what he's like. Uh, We wouldn't know uh, who we are and how we are to respond to him. Uh, But the Bible is so incredible in, in granting us all of that. It's God's book to us. And it is absolutely unique, penned over some 1,500 years by some 40 human authors. Can you imagine that? A book being put together over 1,500 years and and 40 different authors uh, from all different places and locales, and yet this book uh, is incredibly uh, unique in that there is this Thread of a continuing story that goes from front to back. It's unique in that its circulation is unparalleled by anything else. Over 100 million copies every year are sold. Uh, of the Bible. It it has been the perennial bestseller, unique in its translations, translated into some 670 languages, covering over 90% of the world's population. And the other languages are being worked on through, like, Wycliffe uh, Bible translators. Um, So that the, the task of getting the Word of God into the hands of every person so that they can read it is something that the church is working on. Um, it, in terms of translation, uh, the first translation of the Bible, the Old Testament, was about 250 B.C., where it was translated into Greek so that people who who were uh god followers or jews who didn't live in in where they spoke hebrew they could have the word of god in their own language there unique in its survival um, in, in, in the ancient world. It has survived through persecution under vicious attacks by enemy, enemies who would burn it or ban it. The Roman, uh, the Roman emperor Diocletian in 303 AD uh, stopped, wanted to stop Christians from worshiping, and so he destroyed all the Bibles he could. It's unique in its teaching and in, and in its character. It shows the failures of God's leaders. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? You don't want to highlight the negative aspects of the people who are the champions of your faith and yet the word of God is so powerful and so upfront about what's going on. Jesus' followers in their own unbelief in his resurrection even are held out there. Uh, the problems in the church are, are uh, laid out before us. And, and uh, so we, we see something about how incredible it is in that way. How, how poignantly it speaks the truth. Uh, in, in terms of unique in its contribution to ancient history. Uh, There is all kinds of history in the Bible that uh, one would not know of otherwise. It's unique in its teaching. It lays out the highest ideals for humankind. And and even the teaching of Jesus has been uh, held up by other religions as being uh, above what any other religion would have in terms of ideals. It's unique in its contribution to civilization. Uh, the the uh, Western world has been so impacted by the Judeo Christian um, uh, faith and and the Bible uh, in our law, courts of law and and this kind of thing, uh, and the power of that the Word of God possesses is incredible in terms of transforming lives countless millions upon millions upon millions of lives, and I'm one of those lives that have been touched by this book. We are so privileged to have access to the word of the living God, to hold it in our hands. And uh, it's our purpose to help understand what this is and and how we got it. And what I want to do today is I want to kind of... uh, Rush you through a picture of how we got this book that we hold in our hands from the time that uh, God decided He wanted to communicate with us. How, how did that? How did that go? And I want to share that with you uh, in in nutshell case. Uh, last week we looked at the topic of Revelation. Revelation—that is, we can know about God only what He is willing to reveal or share with us. And we looked last week at two kinds of revelation. One was uh, a revelation of of uh, general revelation of his uh, of, of the. Uh, creation what we would observe from creation we would understand something about god and and not only that the conscience that god gave us so god would reveal himself to us in that way but it wasn't enough for us uh, to understand fully who God is and how we respond to him. From that, we needed special revelation. And if you uh, if you didn't get that, I want to encourage you, you can go back onto our website and you can uh, pick up on that and catch up with where we are. Um, we want to follow this trail of how we got the scripture from God being willing to reveal it to us to the book that we hold in our hands. And so uh, that revelation is that God wanting to reveal himself to us. Um, he wanted to reveal his love to us, his purpose for us. It's so incredible that he wants to have a relationship with us, and he makes that possible through Jesus Christ and his coming and his perfect life and his death and his resurrection and uh, exaltation. And, and I had to tell you, that ought to leave us dumbstruck that ought to leave us in, 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 totally, in total awe that God would love us and would share with us. And all of this was his initiative for us. Now, so where do we go from Revelation? Um, we're going to go and we're going to talk first about inspiration. Inspiration. The making of God's book. um. And I want to give you a definition of inspiration. Inspiration is the supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit upon the Scripture writers, which resulted in what they wrote being the actual Word of God. Inspiration that we want to talk about is, is the, the, what God did, the influence that He exerted through the Holy Spirit, to ensure that what was recorded would be ex- exactly what he wants, and it would be the Word of God. Uh, we call the Bible the Word of God. What qualifies that to be the Word of God, designated by that? Well, it's that it's inspired by God. Now, we use the term inspiration and, and, uh, in ways that are not uh, the same as what the meaning of this is inspiration here. We would say, for instance, um, uh, that uh, last night, it was an inspired performance by the Toronto Maple Leafs, who beat the Montreal Canadiens. Some of my friends here are shaking their head and, and just thinking how Wrong, I am here this morning. But I mean, you look at somebody who, in their craft, and you say, "That was an inspired performance. That was incredible." Uh, Sometimes we 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 talk about being inspired to do something. I was inspired to go on a diet on January one. Well, you can't do it January one. That's a celebration, you know. I was inspired to do something. Or this person had an inspiration and they wrote a song. They woke up in the middle of the night and they had this inspiration and they wrote a song a song. Now now those things are all all fine, but that's not what biblical inspiration means. We said uh, what God did in the writer was to ensure that the final product would be from God in scripture. And so well, we have, um, in First Timothy 3, we're only going to look at half of this verse. All Scripture is, the word there is translated, uh, inspired. Um, literally what it is, and, and how it's translated here, is this. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's like God exhaled. Uh, on on this whole project and ensured that whatever was recorded would be from God. It would have his ownership, his fingerprints all over it. It would be the Word of God. Now, I want you to notice it says, all Scripture is God-breathed. Every bit of Scripture is exactly what God wants and qualifies for being called the Word of God. The word scripture there is the word, uh, it's talking about the text. It's not talking, it didn't say that the writer was inspired. It said the text was inspired. All scripture is inspired. It it is uh, a part of God expressing himself and assuring the divine nature of that book that he gave us and that writing. So God exhaled. And, 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 uh, and so moved to pr- protect the integrity of the text so that we could call it the Word of God. Now, the question is, how did God do that? And uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1, we find that Peter is... Um, he tells them, you know what, I, I, I'm not going to be around for a long time. And I want to talk to you about some things. About the gospel. About the second coming of Christ. And I want you to understand this. And I want to strengthen you in your faith in that. And then when he's talking about this. He said. We did not follow cleverly devised stories. When we told you about the coming of the Lord Jesus. In power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Let's take you back to something that happened. Um, Jesus in near the end of his ministry, went on top, went up onto a high mountain, and he took with him Peter and James and John. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. And to the extent that we know which mountain that was in Israel, there's—I've uh, been a couple of times on that, what they call the Mount of Transfiguration. And here you are in this beautiful, uh, high, high altitude looking over uh, the Megiddo Valley. And, and Jesus took these three guys apart and went up there, and he did something uh, that was absolutely phenomenal. Um, he transfigured himself. He showed his glory. And who appears with him but Moses and Elijah. And, and uh, these three... Uh, chosen uh, disciples that went up with him uh, are just like freaked out by this. Jesus is just glistening. you can't even look at him. And Peter, who was uh, not want to leave uh, a a silent space, tended to fill it with something that he'd be better to have kept his mouth shut. But uh, Peter says, oh, this is great. Why don't we make three little booths to commemorate Moses and Elijah and Jesus and then a voice sounds from heaven and it's God the Father and he says this is the son I love shut up and listen to him be quiet Um, and they open their eyes and everybody's gone except Jesus and he's talking about this which was kind of like a foretaste of the glory that would come and uh, and he said, you know, w- when we share stuff with you, we didn't make up these stories. The word, the, excuse me, the word there is the word that we get myth uh, from. These weren't fables. These, were, these weren't myths. These, were, these weren't things that we concocted in our head. Um, no, he says, that, that's not the case. He says, it's like this. You, We had this experience, but what I want you to know is that experience is subject to something that is even more sure than that. We have a prophetic message as something completely rebu- reliable. He, he speaks in a comparative sense. We've got a more sure message. More sure than what? More sure than, than a wonderful experience that we have. We have something uh, completely reliable, and you do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place. He says, uh, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Um, it, it wasn't up to the prophet uh, to figure out, I, I'm going to give an interpretation to this. He received it, and he was, uh, it, w- it wasn't from him. In fact, he goes on to say that the prophecy didn't have its origin in human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And, and the picture, the, the word that's used there is a word that speaks about um, like a sail, is used of a sailboat. And that sailboat, you would have the sail up, and then the, the wind would come and carry it along. And he said that's what happened, that, that these people, though they were human, these prophets, um, they uh, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what he says. You can have an incredible experience, and that's wonderful. And, and you can, you can find uh, some, something in that. But you need to understand that there's something that's even more important than the experience you have. And that's the word of God, which is timeless, which lasts forever, which will, uh, will never be done away with. And, and he says this, the, the prophet doesn't put a, de- a determination of what the meaning of this is on something. And the origin of this is not with humankind It's not people who who do this. This is God working alone. And what God does, he speaks through these holy people, these prophets, and he carries them along by the Holy Spirit so that the product they end up with is something that can be rightly called the Word of God. The interesting thing here is God decided to give us his Word, but he decided to give us his Word through human prophets, through human beings that God would speak through and, um, and that would be shared with others and recorded. Here's the interesting thing, and I find this fascinating, that God decided to share with us what he wants us to know in such a way that it would be a divine human act. So the interesting thing, if you read through the Scripture and you read, let's say, the prophet Isaiah, and then you read the prophet Jeremiah, you go, these guys are like, the way they write is different. You think about, um, uh, for instance, John versus Paul. Paul. Paul wrote a lot of Scripture. When you read the Scripture that John wrote, his vocabulary is different, the way he writes is different, and and so God, without violating the human instrument, so protected and guarded what came out from them, is that it could be in uh, in their idioms, in their kind of language that would be understood to them and others, and yet it would be protected so that it would be of God God superintended that whole process so that what we have is something that can be called the Word of God. The, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing, was very much aware that he was writing the Word of God. Listen to what it says in 1 uh, Thessalonians, Thessalonians uh, 2.13. We thank God for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God. Paul, was, uh, Paul understood that what he was sharing with them was the word of God. It was God's word for them. And uh, they understood that also. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 14, He said, what I'm writing to you, I write as a command from the Lord. This is my own idea. This this came from God. In in Galatians, he's talking about the gospel. In Galatians 1, he says, the gospel came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. I didn't make it up. This is from God to us. And God so protected the recording of what he wanted that it would be called the Word of God and that's what we hold in our hands, the Word of God. Now, there are two entailments from this, or two implications, and the first one is this. If this is the Word of God, and God oversaw and protected it, then it would be not, uh, not because it's the Word of God, it would be without error. And so the next blank on your sheet is inerrancy. It's without error. It's infallible. In, in uh, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 8, it, say, it says it's impossible for God to lie. In Numbers uh, chapter 23, it says this, God is not human, that he should lie. He's not a human being, that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Because it's God's word, it's without error. Because it's God's word, it's true. That's why Jesus could say in John 17, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Uh, In Matthew 5 and verse 18... Uh, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, until heaven, heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything has been accomplished. You can count on it. It's without error. Uh, it will happen. Now, if I would give you a definition of this, I would say uh, that inerrancy is that the Scripture, in its original manuscripts, does not affirm anything contrary to fact. It's truthful. It's reliable because it's God's word. That wait a minute, all of us have heard, well, aren't there problems with the Bible? Aren't there errors in the Bible? And if, if you go uh, to university, uh, you would hear stuff like that. that, that the, the Bible can't be counted on. And maybe they think, it, uh, some people say, well, it's, it's myths, it's stories, it's things that people wrote down and that kind of thing. And I just want to go through a, f- a few things to refute that for you. As I say, we're 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 scooting through this this whole area. Uh, One one of the things is, for instance, um, uh, Matthew and Mark uh, talk about an angel at the resurrection. Luke talks about there were two angels there. Ha! Gotcha. They're wrong. What is it? Is it one or is it two? We we've got two accounts, one or two. You know that that makes no sense. There's no error. These are eyewitnesses. They're recording something that they saw. They don't record everything. Uh, they record what is pertinent to them and what they're sharing. And as God uh, so directs that as well. So it's, in fact, far from being an error, it's a support for the integrity of the text. Because they didn't sit down and say, "Let's make everything cohere, Let's let's make everything the same. Let's uh, let, let's do that." In, in a court of law, you listen and investigate the, the various testimonies, and you know they have different perspectives. And so, what is if every one of them said the very same thing about every detail? It would be very suspect. But when they recall what they recall and what they was important to them and significant to them, um, it, it, it shows there's no collusion and it has much stronger proof. Uh, there, uh, we need to understand that in the Bible also we speak from the point of uh, being observers. Uh, the Bible is not a science book. The Bible is a book that speaks about our faith and about, and it speaks in language, um, the language of appearance. So, when in the Bible it may say the sun rises in the east and it sets in the west, we say, well, that's not scientifically correct. Uh, we know that it doesn't set. It's it's we're revolving, and we're and we're not only revolving, we're we 're revolving around the sun, and, and so things of appearance doesn 't make it wrong. Um, there are things like in Second Chronicles four and two, talking about this this big um, uh, bowl that will be at the temple, and they were, they were told that that bowl was to be uh, ten cubits from brim to brim, and around the circumference it should be thirty. Now, I was always lousy in math. But my understanding is that that is incorrect. Because if it were correct, pi would be 3.14. Even that wouldn't be absolutely right, because it should be 3.14.59, and then you know it, it goes on infinite, infinitely. And, and so he's saying, ha-ha, there's an error in the Bible. No, they're speaking about, this was, this was like 30 cubits by 10 cubits. And uh, so, I mean, to to say that the Bible is wrong on account of that would be in error. It's also that the Bible at times rounds off. Uh, we uh, eight thousand people were killed. Well, what if it was eight thousand and twenty three? That's not the point of it. On top of that, the, the, the Bible uses literary, uh, literary devices like poetry and use creative expression to make a point. There are things like the Proverbs that talk about truisms, uh, things that are, are basically true. They're not promises. So if you say, well, in the Proverbs it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old he won't depart from it. That was never given as a promise. It was saying this. As a point of wisdom, for the most part, if you faithfully uh, bring up your children in faith to know, to know God, to know Christ, for the most part, they'll stay with it. This was never given as a promise. Um, and there are, there are some errors in the Bible. Do you remember what I, what I said before? That the manuscripts, the original manuscripts, don't have error in them. But when it comes to uh, copying uh, uh, things, you can have some error. Uh, One, for instance, in 2 Chronicles 9.25, it says Solomon had uh, 4,000 stables and chariots, and he had 12,000 horses. But there there are some that have inserted in there. It wasn't 4,000 chariots and stables. It was 40,000. Well, we know that that somebody put an extra zero in. And so that will be marked. This is the integrity of the text. It will be marked that there were some manuscripts that said 40,000. And we know that makes no sense. Why would you have 40,000 st- stalls and, and chariots for 12,000 horses? It, you know, so it's self-evident. But somebody may want to say, aha, you see there, it's wrong. Um, something else, the Bible, is, when it speaks in history, Um, They're things that people criticize the Bible for. One is that in the Bible it talked about the the Hittite Empire. And uh, there was no knowledge of any Hittite Empire that was in uh, Turkey or Asia Minor. That is until the 1830s when uh, French archaeologist uh, Charles Texier found and unearthed the capital of the Hittite Empire at Hattusa and the whole library, and so people were saying, "Ah, you know, there are errors in the Bible. There's, that doesn't exist." Well, then we find with time that it does, and all of the uh, all of the kind of archaeology that goes on. It's fascinating how so many of those things support the integrity of Holy Scriptures. Now, these are things that that can be resolved. These are things. Um, that that we need to confess. Yeah, there are a couple of areas like that, but that does not uh, affect the uh, the word of God in its truthfulness. Well, secondly, if if the Bible is the word of God, then it needs to be authoritative. If God is speaking, if this is God's book, if this is God to us, um, then we need to understand that. Uh, It has authority in our lives. In John 10, uh, Jesus said, If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, in most versions it said, it cannot be broken. You cannot break scripture. You can't discount it. It, it It is accurate and right. And God, through his word, invites us to submit ourselves to it. His desire to communicate with us also invites a response to that communication. And what is, I want to add a question for you, what is your attitude toward the Word of God? If you say this is the Word of God, you need to submit yourself to it. You need to humble yourself before it. You need to be in readiness uh, to desire that uh, God's communication and to honor it with obedience. The great thing is, we have the Word of God to guide us. We weren't left to our own devices. Um, we weren't let, left to, to personal opinion. We can, we can talk about an issue in the church and say, uh, you know, I believe this, and I think we should do this, and I think this is right, or that is right. And and what, what God has done is left us a record. And what He wants us to do is to seek Him, uh, to... to, to not beyond our personal opinion, to allow him to guide and direct us. The great thing is he's given us a record, and our responsibility is to know it, to understand it, and to submit ourselves to it. But that doesn't help us also thinking about how do we get to where we have gotten. Well, there's the transmission of the text. So when Paul would write a letter, for instance, um, he would send that letter off, and that was one letter. There was no printing press. That wouldn't come for about another 1,400 years. And so uh, what would happen? They would receive, a, say a church would receive a letter from the Apostle Paul, and as we're going to do tonight, we'll have some reading. This is how the church got there, they didn't have a Bible. you know how privileged we are? to have the Word of God in its entirety, in our hand, in multiple languages that uh, that facilitate um, our needs. Uh, but that wasn't the case. So they would hear the Word of God. And uh, I said before uh, the, uh, the other week, that uh, last week, that in Russian churches, when the Word of God is open to be read, the people automatically stand to honor it. And um, so... If it's God's word, it has authority, and we need to understand that, and then it's transmitted to us. Well, how, how, do, we, uh, how do we get that transmission? Well, they would have scribes that would write, and uh, particularly in the Old Testament, they were so careful. Uh, they would count every letter in a line um, and, and ensure that they had accuracy, Um, In fact, they had such a reverence for the name of God that every time they hit the the name of God, they would take their stylus or or their writing instrument and and clean it before they would write the name of God. There was that kind of care taken. Um, uh, They used things like um, uh, animal skins. They would shave them and tan them and they would write on animal skins. Remember the Apostle Paul said, bring the parchments. Those were animal skins. Um, one of uh, what was used most was uh, papyrus paper. And um, in Egypt, there would have uh, these freshwater areas where there were papyrus reeds. And uh, what they would do is they would take these uh, reeds that would be uh, waving in the in the in the uh, wind, they would cut them off. Uh, they would cut them into certain sizes. They would take off the outer hard shell and take the inner part and cut it into into strips. They would take then and uh, put it in water, and they would let it sit for could be two five uh, days a week, and then they would take it out and they would begin to pound it down. Uh, lay the strips all up and down, pound it down and take a roller and roll over it. Then they would take another set and they would put it the other way. And uh, they would pound it together. So they would have strips going uh, vertically and horizontally. And then what they would do is uh, they would put it in a press and they would leave it for a number of days until it was totally dried out. And this is the papyrus paper that they make. Uh, This looks like a um, uh, something you put on your table. But this is what they would write on. And uh, this stuff is its pretty tough. Um, I'll, I'll let you guys over here see what this is like. But this is, this is papyrus. And they could get something like this about um, 30 to 35 foot long. You couldn't get something more than that. Here, I'll let you guys see that. Just so make sure I get my paper back afterwards. Um, when Luke and Acts were both written by Luke, um, he, he wrote them and the extent of the book of Luke and the book of Acts would be about 30 to 35 feet. You couldn't get more scripture on it, so you would roll it up like that, you'd tie it up and, uh, and use it. And if you take really good care of these, um, they can last for a long time. And and so, this is what they did. They made copies. They had scribes that would make copies. And uh, on on top of that, um, they made so many that it's actually embarrassing how much evidence there is for the text of the the Scripture. We don't have any of the original, called the original autographs or or original uh, manuscripts. I think... We don't have them because, well, number one, it's thousands of years, uh, but also we don't have it because God knows we tend to be worshippers of things like that. You remember, in, in in the Old Testament, do you remember when Moses put the bronze snake up on the pole? Uh, that snake was kept in the uh, in the uh, tab in the temple, and and uh, what happened was it became an object of worship. So I think God says, you know, we're not going to have we're not going to have the original autographs that you know, you'd come and worship before them and kiss them and or kiss the glass around them or something like that. But but he proliferated the amount of copies. I'm going to give you two examples from history. One is Plato. Plato's writing about 400 BC, the earliest copy we have from Plato's works would be 900 A.D. That means it's 1,300 years removed from the time that it was, uh, was written originally. You know how many copies there are? Seven. Uh, Tacitus, the Roman historian, uh, wrote in his annals. He's writing at 100 A.D. So just, just after uh, the time that the apostles uh, were uh, dying off, um, and, and he wrote that the, the earliest recollection or earliest copy we have of that is 1,100 years later. And there are 20 copies of that. Now, by, by comparison, uh, for instance, in the New Testament, we have things that date to 50 years after the time when they were, uh, were written, of uh, fragments and whole pieces and whole books and whole copies we have over 5600 copies And there's nothing that touches this or comes anywhere close. God protected his word. God proliferated his word. And that's just copies. That isn't things that have gone into church liturgies and, and writings by the church fathers and all of that. So we have quotations upon quotations. And this is an ongoing thing as they find more and more through archaeological digs. Well, so we've got piles of copies now. We've got all these things. How do we know and understand what the Word of God is? Well, and that's called the process of canonization. And so, what happens is we need to understand which books are Holy Scripture and which aren't. Um, There are books in the uh, a number of books cited in the Bible that aren't Scripture books. Uh, Joshua 10, there's the book of Jasher, there's the book of the war of the Lord uh, in Numbers 21. These are things that we don't have, but they're cited in Scripture, but never meant to be Scripture. There uh, are apocryphal books, and there are about 14 or 15, depending on how you count them, books that have been inserted between the uh, New Testament and the Old Testament. Um, that are not recognized as being the Word of God. There are books like the Gospel of, of Thomas, where there's some fanciful things written, somebody under the name of Thomas, it wasn't Thomas the Apostle, somebody wrote a thing and they have a G, little Jesus playing and he would take some mud and he would make a, a bird and, and go and it would fly away and, and some fanciful kinds of things. Um, none of those were found at, to be or well, the Word of God. None of those were inspired. Um, and, and so there was a, a process of some time, a few hundred years, where the, uh, we, we came to understand what was the canon of Scripture and where they were. And then finally, we have a translation into the languages that we have. So now we, we, we've got copies we understand what the word of God is. We disseminate that. And, and now we need to make copies. Uh, because uh, the early church, especially when Rome got involved, it was now Latin. So they had a Latin Vulgate, the Latin uh, version of the scriptures. And, and the church worked in, the, in uh, Latin. But if you didn't speak Latin, it made no, no, it made no sense to you. So you would go and sit through a service in, in church. Of something that you didn't understand. And that's where people even uh, went to the point of, of uh, threatening their own life. William Tyndale made this statement that he said he wanted the plowboy to know more about the Word of God than the clergy. And he was insistent on doing a version, an English version of uh, the Bible so people would have access to it. Uh, He lost his life over that. Um, So we have this incredible privilege of having the Word of God in something that we can understand, something that we we can have for ourselves. I, I, I think of the the privilege we have. Do you imagine the privilege we have that people never had before and all of the resources we have with this? And David in Psalm 119 says, I love your law. How I love your law. God gave us this. Can you say with David, I love your word. I didn't tell you that there that the, the, the impact that the word of God has had on my life and Gerda's life and, and, and how it's brought us through times and how it's strengthened us and how it's guided us and how it's given us wisdom for certain situations. I am so thankful for that. And we have it and, and sometimes we don't even realize how blessed we are. I told you last week I had a, a couple of pastor friends that have done a, a fair bit of work in Russia when communist Russia was, was uh, imprisoning people for their faith, and particularly church leaders. And uh, they came back. Finally, one guy, uh, Georgi Vince, was uh, released, and they brought him to North America. He'd been for years in prison uh, for being a, a, a church leader. And uh, what they used to do is they would take a Bible. They'd take it like a New Testament, and they would tear sections out of it, and they would hand it one to the other, and and they would read that section, and they would take the the pages. They they so loved the Word of God. They so needed the Word of God, they did that. In 1988, my dad and I uh, went to Cuba. Uh, Cuba is communist, and they were opening up... uh, for, for tourism at this time, and uh, we went w- on, on a holiday specifically with a mission, and that was to take Bibles, because they don't have Bibles, and uh, we, we had um, 100 Bibles between us, Pastoral aids, Sunday school material <laughs> it, it was embarrassing because i could I could hardly lift my my bags and, and though it 's not illegal, if they catch you with those they 'll confiscate them and get rid of them and um, they, they called me out I, uh, they, so they check a few people and they want me to put my uh, my, uh, my case up on a table. The, the table legs were, you know, and what, what we had done is we had put um, a plastic bag, a Bible in each plastic bag, put them in the middle, put clothes on, top, underneath, and, um, and I, my dad has to, he's got to go ahead of me. I got called out. He can't know me at this point, so he goes out to the bus, and I'm in there, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, 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 Lord. And uh, the, the God who makes the blind to see can make the seeing blind. And so he said, okay, I, I closed it up. And, I, and I'm thinking now I'm home free. And uh, he said, the other one now, oh can lightning strike twice? And I put that up and open it up. And God kept him from seeing that. We went and we had a connection with a pastor, so we rent a car, found him. It, very covert. We went to a little Baptist seminary in Havana. We drove into this underground parking lot. It was like something out of a spy movie. And we've got all these Bibles. And here are nine students preparing for ministries in a covert kind of way don't have Bibles. We, we, we brought them in and, and presented to each one of these students Bibles. Uh, I remember they sang the doxology, of course in Spanish, and they took those Bibles and they held them to themselves, and they took and had a chance now to hear God. My friends, look at what we have. I've got two shelves full of Bibles. You, you name it, I've got it. Um, we are so privileged. Do you open this thing? Do you look at it? Do you hear the creator and your heavenly father share with you his love, his wisdom, his grace? This is what God has given to us as a gift. And and may we take and love it and open it and read it and turn it loose in our lives where it begins to transform us. I'll I'll call the musicians up please. Um, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to make a fresh commitment to the word of God in your life. You're going to have a wonderful experience, and I hope you do, but more important even than our experience is the word that God gives us that will guide us, direct us, lead us, and make us into the people he wants us to be. Father, we thank you so much for, for your word and your truth. We thank you that it's a light to our feet and a lamp unto our path It guides and directs us. It tells us of your love and shows us of your grace. And Father, I pray that you would help us to, to take that book and love it and consume it and to allow the Holy Spirit to take and transform us into the image of Jesus increasingly in Christ's name, amen.